I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, what's up, Pels fans? You are listening to The Bird Calls on OTG and Nothing But Net Radio. If you like what you're hearing, follow us, rate us on iTunes, and most importantly, subscribe today. Let's go, Pels. Pals fans, welcome to the Bird Calls. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and we've got everybody back from injury today. Fresh from a nasty cold, he's got the go-ahead to start today. It's the BirdRights.com's editor, Ali Cosell. What's up, dude? Hey, Preston. How you doing, man? Dude, you sound terrific. I, I feel like I was just telling you off the air. I haven't talked to you guys in a, in a while, so it's good to have you back. And, of course, we're at full strength today because Kevin Berrios is joining him. What's going on, Kev? Oh, you know, still I'm recovering from the same thing Ollie had. I just uh, was saying I had Glenn Davis sitting on my chest, it felt like. And this morning, I feel like I finally pushed him off. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Oh. <laughs> that sounds pretty intense. He's, he's a big boy. Um, today we're doing a quick recap of the Blazers and the Knicks, followed by our midseason grades. But, but first, Ollie, would you like to say anything to any Saints fans who may be listening? Oh, man, I'm still hurting about that loss. It's just, it's incredible. I mean, I, I really, you know what? I had a tweet typed up. All I needed was a clock to hit zero, zero, and I was going to hit return. And uh, you know what? I had to erase it, cry about it, and then I've been crying ever since. It sucks, man. I don't want to talk about it, to be honest with you. What about you, Kevin? Are you pleading the fifth? Yeah, that was a rough one, man. That's a tough way to lose a game, but, you know, um, it's one of those things, too, where uh, you played a little bit different in the first half, you know, wouldn't have come down to that. So, you know, can't blame it all on the one play. But, of course, the one play was uh, such a terrible way to lose. It's tough, tough to go on. Yeah, but it was it was nice to see uh, the people of New Orleans, the way that they they met the guys at the airport, all the love outpouring towards Marcus Williams on Twitter. And and this special relationship that New Orleans has to the Saints has really just been personified through like the last 12 hours. Obviously, we've seen, you know, the reverse side of that, the, the throwing yourselves off of the the, the bridge, uh, so to speak. But. What, what I want to boil this down to is is basically like there's a special relationship between the Saints and the New Orleans that the Pelicans don't have yet. And now the Saints season is over and the Pelican season is just rapid or just ramping up, I should say. Come root for your Pelicans, you guys. The Saints had an, an up and down year, much like the Pels. No one no one expected much. They came out flat. They were 0-2, multiple <coughs> injuries to important role players, never to the stars, an eight-game win streak followed by a 3-3 a, a three and three finish, I think. 
a star and an all-around good guy, Drew Brees and Anthony Davis with the Pelicans. And then you've got a, a volatile superstar where the opinions always find themselves mixed. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, obviously Boogie Cousins. And then uh, for the Saints, consider the, the choke signs, the push broom celebrations, the, the violent backpats to opposing head coaches, the fourth down calls at, at midfield, the penalty against the Falcons that cost the Saints the game with, I can't remember what it was, a little over a minute left. But there was a chance that the Saints were going to get the ball back. Anyway, Sean Payton is every Every bit the polarizing star that Boogie is, in my opinion, whether or not you agree, that's that's up for debate. But these teams have so much more in common than you might think. But most of all, they share Poydras and they share New Orleans. So come on, you guys, Ollie, Kevin, cheer for your Saints and cheer for your Pelicans. What do you guys have to say to that? No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a bond, though, that takes time to grow. I mean, it took the Saints years and years before they had their dedicated following. And they went through so many rough, rough seasons. Well, I even remember when I was a kid growing up in Cincinnati. And they would show that occasional Saints game. And there would just be people in the stands wearing wearing um, uh, paper bags over their heads. That's like a lasting image I had for years. And now just to see this flourish. And the, one of the most amazing relationships between a sports team and their fan base has just been incredible. And, you know, you, we can say all we want about the Pelicans and how we should support them, which we rightly should. But it's going to take a lot of time, Preston. We talked about a little bit with Karen, if you remember. And it's just something that's going to take or it's going to require – uh, for the team to start doing better, winning better. You know, it, it's it's like a two-way street, you know. You can ask for the fans to be supportive and all that, but, you know, the product has to be good. They have to, you know, just to to be a fan of a team, you, you have to have a reason for it. And really, the Pelicans have not done that so far. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still very hopeful that that will happen, but it's just going to take time. Yeah, fingers crossed. Kevin, let's get to the recaps. Anthony Davis, of course, being the story, he was unreal on Friday against the Blazers, putting up 36 on 16 of 23 from the floor and nine rebounds in 41 minutes, followed by his otherworldly 50-minute performance in the Pelicans' overtime comeback where they led by as or where they trailed by as many as 19, I should say, against the Knicks. Leading me to the question, Kevin, do you think AD could have played Wednesday against the Grizz? Uh, I mean, maybe, but I don't, I don't want to go back into that game. Let's forget about that game and look at what's going forward. You know, I mean, he looked great. He looked healthy. Um, he looked a little bit. He looked a little bit uh, concerned about his ankle against Portland. But I, I watched the rebroadcast of uh, the Knicks game last night, and it, you know, it didn't seem to be bothering him. So saying he could play against Memphis is, you know, questionable. I mean, he he, he was like definitely trying to land on his other foot most of the time against Portland. Um, but the thing that I really want to take away from this game is we saw two incredible effort games from AD, um, after, you know, us questioning it, questioning his effort levels, uh, recently. And, um, I think one thing that's really good is this may like sort of set a hierarchy of this team, you know, where we're all, where like the fans and the people in the city always knew that Anthony Davis is the best player on this team. I think that maybe these two games can be the launching point of him being like, look, this is my team. I'm the main guy. I'm going to run this. Everything flows through me, follow my lead. And then everybody gets in line and we start to see a more disciplined boogie. We start to see, you know, things going more through Anthony Davis, where sometimes he'd be the forgotten man in the offense. Um, So that's what I'm hoping for. And I'm hoping that uh, effort level comes every night. Um, Even like boogie had a terrible shooting night against New York, but you can't really say his effort levels were bad. I mean, he was hustling on defense. Of course, he had some mistakes and some bad plays, especially early on in the game that 
crazy turnover, but, you know, we also saw a lot of good things from him. Um, and if he's given effort and if AD is given that kind of effort and Drew's there and Etwan always gives that effort, then, you know, it's a bright future going forward, I'd say. And Ollie, we know that he loves playing against unicorns. He said as much in quotes in previous weeks and months. You know, you've got this this new guy, Kristaps Porzingis, on top of Carl Anthony Towns. Anthony Davis really likes to to get up for these guys. But of course, he was also wonderful against the Blazers uh, in a different respect. Ollie, do you, do you think this continues that 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 the team sort of shifts its way back towards Anthony Davis getting the most shots, getting the most looks, and just letting him do his thing? Yeah, actually, you know, it's given me hope. Over the last five quarters, Anthony Davis has scored 64 points. That in itself is outstanding, but what I'm looking at is the amount of offensive rebounds he's getting and the block shots and the steals. You've got to look at all these effort type of categories with him, and when they're as high as they've been, like, for instance, in the last two games, he's got 11 offensive rebounds. Um, He's got five blocks in the last two games, uh, four steals. The guy's literally been everywhere, and this is the Anthony Davis we honestly had not seen, as Kevin just alluded to over like consistently over the last month, month and a half. Uh, really not since the start of the season. I feel like both Boogie and AD have been, you know, really bringing it on almost every play. And AD seems to have turned that corner ever since that turned ankle. And then he missed that game in Memphis. And Kevin was right to point out that he did seem to favor that in the early goings against Portland. But since then, he's been, wow, just, just incredible. He's honestly carried the team to both of those victories, but especially against the Knicks. And so, yeah, person, to answer your question, I think this bodes well because when you're the leader of the team who is looked as to be a leader suddenly seizes that mantle, is asking for the shots. I mean, he took 30 shots against the Knicks, 23 against Portland. These guys will look for him, and, and Boogie's even alluded to it. He's the best player in the team uh, over the last week. There's been other players who've always said that. So with Anthony Davis actually now stepping up, seizing that, I don't see why it would change. I mean, it's all on Anthony Davis' shoulders, and if he is willing to continue uh, to carry that load, yeah, he's going to stay up there, and the Pelicans are going to ride him. All right, you guys are listening to the Bird Calls. We're talking to Kevin Berrios and Ali Cosell. Kevin, uh, <laughs> another guy who's been a star lately that I want to talk about is Drew Holiday. He was spectacular again. He had 25-6-5 and six and five on 8 of 11 shooting, including some timely stepbacks late in the fourth. Then against the Knicks, he put in 31. Kevin, how are you feeling about that five-year, $131 million deal with that $13 million extra added incentive late in contract at this point? <laughs> I mean, obviously, I always thought that Drew was important to resign. I didn't like the numbers. I still don't really like the numbers. I mean, obviously, we were kind of nobody was expecting this kind of output from Drew Holiday. I don't think it was expected around the league. So you were still negotiating against yourself in a way. Um, so what could have been like a seen as wow, it's a good value deal is you know maybe it's a fair deal. Maybe it's still a little bit of an overpay. I don't know. Um, but he's a he's an exceptional player, and he's a very important player on our team, and I'm very glad we have him. Um, if we just had him for a little bit less, it would give us a little bit more flexibility to be able to add another player or to be more active at the trade deadline, perhaps. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is like, uh, you know, I always – before the in the off season, I was always like I thought Drew was better on ball, and I was wasn't sure about him being the off ball guard and and all of that. And then he struggled at the beginning of the season when he was on the ball again. And then Rondo came, and then he he like flourished. He became a great offensive player. He's the key cog in our offense. Almost you know if he's having a good offensive game, it's pretty much a, a win for us because he's always going to give us that that defense. Um, 
But lately we've seen, you know, Rondo falling out of favor and we're seeing Drew shift back to being more on ball. And it's, I think it's, uh, I was maybe right that he, it wasn't necessarily that he wasn't, he couldn't be an on ball player. It's just that he needed a shift in mentality, a shift in his confidence. And he's gotten that and that's unlocked everything. And so now he's like a totally complete player. We can have him run the point. We can change the lineups where him and Etwan can be in the backcourt and Etwan can be more of a, you know, defending guys that are more his size, more of his athletic uh, level that, you know, creates less of a disadvantage on the defensive end for us. And we can have, if Solomon Hill comes back, the small forward or play Darius at small forward more and have Rondo come off the bench or, you know, or just limit Rondo's minutes with the starters and do a quick sub. So it gives us a lot more flexibility and he's just like, you know, an incredible player. And look, um, I mean, he, the the West is so stacked with uh, point guards. It's hard. It's hard for uh, him to earn an All Star spot. But I mean, he's playing like an All Star right now. So it's uh, you know, it's it's very rewarding to see. And um, you know, it's it's harder to complain about that contract now. Obviously, we would like it to be still for less money because of the flexibility that it would give us. But I mean, he's playing at at a level that that would get you that kind of contract. So you know, good for him and good for Dell. I was waiting to see if you were going to mention uh, All-Star, uh, and you certainly did. Ali, we're going to go much more in depth on Drew uh, later, but quickly, uh, last month we talked about how well Drew was playing in the month of December, and he's continued it thus far in six games in January. He's still averaging 20 points in the month on 52% shooting, albeit on 25% shooting from three. Ali, if he can get that three-point percentage up to, like, I don't know, 35 36%, I mean, is is he an all-star level player? And do you think he just continues growing in his new role in the Pelicans offense? Again, yes, Preston. I am going to be an optimistic Ollie today. <laughs> Have to be. You got to turn around. We got to move on the Pelicans, as you said, from the Saints loss. So, you know, everything's pointing up with Drew. Since the middle of November, he's been a 20-point scorer. Literally, he's at 20.5 since November 15th <laughs> over the last 28 games. Uh, shooting over 50%, and his three-point percentage, because it was so high, you know, back in November, or towards the end of November and through December, it's currently at 36.9. So, I mean, and he's got the rebounds, the assists, the steals. Um, he's knocking down a couple threes a game. It's all there, Preston. Um, yeah, he's, his three-point shot has kind of wavered here during uh, January or whatever, over the last 10 games or so. But I think that that's just something that he's always done in his career. He's always been a hot cold type of streaky type of shooter. So that's eventually going to bounce back. But people have got to also put in the equation of how great this guy is defensively. Anytime I go and rewatch some games, he's the guy that's always noticeable because he's the one that's always trying, always giving second, third, fourth, fifth efforts, always running full steam up and down the court, uh, getting the closeouts that somebody else may have missed out. He's always the guy doing everything. Uh, If you can't tell, he's going to be my MVP when we get to these postseason grades or these uh, midseason grades in a second. But I've got nothing but positives about Drew. He, he's the type of player that years ago I said he was. And uh, unfortunately, through uh, injuries and then the family circumstances, and then obviously there was a confidence issue. Most recently he had to deal with. Um, it's it's all been hidden. And it's just funny to me how he's always been, um, whatever the latest thing that's been holding him back, people just latch onto it. And it comes, it almost becomes like a stereotype that this is who he is. That's who he's going to be. And every time I hear that, it just drives me crazy. Every once in a while, I'll refute it or I'll write something. But in overall, I'll just stay in the backgrounds because it's just not worth people fighting. They just latch on to whatever's the latest 
thing happening with a player and they seem to think that's uh, who he is. That's who he's going to continue to be. And uh, obviously Drew has disproven it millions of times. I mean, this is what, this is probably the best example at the start of the season. Do you guys remember this? Everybody was hating on that contract and they were saying, well, I would rather have Reggie Jackson or uh, uh, just any other point guard in the league. And, and if you look at all the names that were mentioned, um, guess who's by, been by far the best producer? It's Drew Holiday. I am so proud of Del Dems for staying the course. He, he, he saw the talent and sometimes, you know, you just got to write it out and now he's being rewarded with that decision. So I don't know. I've got nothing but positive and I can keep going on for minutes about this, but we've got to move on. Yeah, definitely. It's such a sharp contrast. Uh, Drew Holiday, pre-boogie to post-boogie. Uh, we we thought he was a disaster the last 20 games of last season into the first 10 games of this season. Then Rajon Rondo comes back, and we attribute all the success in the shooting to Rajon Rondo. And now we're seeing Drew Holiday just take over without Rajon Rondo. He's become his own player. And like Kevin said, like if the West isn't so loaded, let's say he's in the Eastern Conference, he might be in heavy consideration for the, for the All-Star game at this point. But we've got a lot to get to. We're going to have a long episode to get to. We've got to get to grades. And let's start with general manager Del Demps. I'm going to throw this over to Kevin. Again, we're, we're, we're judging on, on this season alone, just based in terms of our preseason expectations. And this season, Dell has brought in Rajon Rondo, Ian Clark, Jameer Nelson, Darius Miller. He re-signed Dante Cunningham in addition to Drew Holiday. And then he drafted Frank Jackson, who has yet to play an NBA minute, but we're hoping to see him in the next month or so. Grade his performance, Kevin. I'm going to give him a B or a B minus. You know, um, I mean, the Drew Drew uh, contract, obviously we wish it was better, but it's like it got, kept Drew on this team, and he's like, I know everything Ali and I just said about him. He's an incredible player, so got him back. Um, Darius Miller was another one of his great, like, dumpster dive finds, finding a guy that's washed out of the league, comes back and contributes, gives you that great skill of shooting, and he's developing into more of a complete player. Um, he's moving the ball well. He's uh, got a good pump fake and drive. Um, you know, he's getting, he's finishing around the rim a little bit better and he's becoming a pretty good on ball defender. Um, you know, Dante has been a disaster. I, I called for Dante to come back. Um, I was expecting to get that, uh, you know, 40% shooting from, from uh, the corner. I was expecting him to continue cutting, getting uh, easy baskets and to show some semblance of defense, but we're not getting any of that from Dante Cunningham. And that's been a disaster. Um, you know, the other, he didn't have much to work with. So, uh, you know, bringing in guys like Ian Clark, who's been a positive contributor on a minimum contract was solid. Uh, Jameer Nelson had a few decent moments, but now we're seeing him kind of wash out to, you know, a guy that you can understand why Denver uh, let him walk. Uh, but again, he's on a minimum contract, so it was worth the risk. Um, and then, you know, that, you know, Frank Jackson will have to wait and see. Um, there wasn't a lot for him to work with to add. So, you know, it all comes down to what he's going to do at this trade deadline, if he can improve his grade. But I mean, adding holiday, well, keeping holiday, get him in position to, uh, to play that way. And, you know, and I, I didn't talk about Rondo, you know, bringing in Rondo, who's been, you know, an up and down player so far for us, you know, he, um, you know, at least one thing that he's doing, if he's going to start losing minutes, which it looks like he's going to start to do with uh holiday playing more on ball and them trusting Ian Clark a little bit more and he'll coming back and Darius probably get more minutes. Um, you know, he's at least coaching from the sidelines, co like calling out um, where, where screens are coming from on defense, getting people in position on defense. So, 
he's providing that even if he's not providing good on-ball defense himself right now. Hopefully that can change or, you know, the rotations will change that for him. But, you know, he's brought in pieces that weren't expensive, that aren't long-term holds, um, that aren't going to mess up the cap sheet going forward. So, I mean, it's hard to give him a terrible grade because he didn't have a lot to work with. Now you could say he didn't have a lot to work with because of his past work, but, you know, we're grading on this season. So, you know, I'd say a B, B minus. I think that's an excellent point. We're just grading on this season alone. And if you take the Agensa and Asha contracts uh, into account here, you can find a very different grade. But basically, uh, just what we had to work with this summer, uh, there there was the the Drew Holiday thing that, that prefaced everything. And then a bit of luck with the Nick Young deal. And I'm not sure what the story is, whether Nick Young turned down the mid-level exception with the Pelicans or whether Dell Demps rebuffed the offer. But Ali, however it worked out, uh, things are looking pretty good based on the guys he's been able to bring in with the resources he had available. Don't you think? Yeah. You guys remember what kind of grade? And then my following rant I did in preseason was it preseason or even before I'm not sure, but I went off and, and uh, I, I gave him an a, um, I, I hate backtracking, but I think I would maybe lower that grade a little bit in hindsight. Uh, but then again, you know, as Kevin's already gone through the list of players, and you just said it's so hard for the Pelicans to be able, or Dell Demps and front office to be able to have done too much, simply because how they were restricted. They were basically held to, you know, the taxpayer MLE. And so to bring in a bunch of players who are productive, who have histories of production, and then to be able to find a, a gem like Darius Miller. Um, I think we haven't seen the best out of Ian Clark yet. I was really high on him. Dante Cunningham is by far the biggest disappointment. But then again, who saw this coming after you know, everything was kind of steadily going up and up for him ever since he came on uh, to the team several years ago. Who expected for him not only to lose his three-point shot, but defensively, I think he's been a disaster. But um, then there's Jameer Nelson, who I think people are kind of giving a harder time than they should. <coughs> Preston, I can understand with that toe on the line. Wow, that, it's crazy. <laughs> Every game. I'm telling you, man, you, you, I don't know when you picked up on it, but every time I watch him, I look for it, and he does it every game. So I feel for you, man. But, no, overall, I, I, you know, it's right there between an A and a B. I mean, he's done as well as you could have expected. All these guys have contributed. And I still think that there's more left in the tank with some of these guys, especially like, say, Ian Clark and Tony Allen, who I think is going to be actually a vital piece if he can come back and uh, give, give another ball-stopping defender out there because – Drew Holiday is the only one that I can see that can consistently kind of give some resistance or give good help. Uh, I'm sorry, guys, but each one more just doesn't do it. Game in, game out. He's, he just doesn't have it athletically to stay with um, starters, most starters across this league, and, or they're just bigger than him. So he, the guy's going to struggle. And you just can't have one good defender out there. Until we get Solomon Hill back or Tony Allen, it's, it's, it's just going to be a big flaw. The Pelicans' are, defense is still going to have a lot of issues. But – Sorry, getting off topic here. Let's just move on. Uh, Del Demps, yeah, A or B, Preston. I think he deserve, deserves a high grade because, the, you know, everybody figured that it was just going to be an Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins-led team with uh, really no supporting cast. But you know what? I feel like I've seen plenty of the support from this cast that he's brought in, into New Orleans. You know, I'm going to be tough on you guys. Kevin, you said B or B minus. Why don't you pick one for us? Uh, I, I'll just go B. All right, and Ali, you said A or B. Why don't you? Well, A was preseason. I wanted to backtrack, but I don't know if that's right because you know you're not allowed to. Well, I mean, if you allow to factor in results, I would give it a straight B. 
Hey, we can do whatever we want here, guys. Uh, let's move on to head coach Alvin Gentry. He's got the Pelicans at 22 and 20. You guys were two games over 500. Of course, uh, that promises that we're going to fall back to earth against the Celtics. But for now, we're in the sixth seed, uh, and he's been tasked with with managing the emotions of one of the most interesting personalities in the NBA and DeMarcus Cousins, in, in addition to a contract year for players like Boogie, like Rajon Rondo, moving Holiday to the two, and, and changing a team in many ways to suit the vision of new assistant coach Chris Finch, who came over from Denver. Uh, we went something like ninth in offense and 20, uh, or sorry, ninth in defense and 25th in offense to, I don't know where we're currently sitting at this point in time, somewhere around the top five in offense and somewhere in the bottom five in defense. Let's start with Kevin. Grade Alvin Gentry's performance this year, and this should be interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to give him a C. Um, I, you know, I always say, I think he's an average at best coach, and I think he's an average at best coach. And I think, you know, if we're crediting him for moving Drew to the two to make him better then we've already said that that didn't matter. It's just the shift in mentality. And if we're crediting the offense to Chris Finch, then what did he do? I don't know. I don't, I don't really necessarily, um, agree with that though. I mean, I think there's a big Alvin Gentry stamp on the offense and I still think there's too many times we play against our advantage. And I feel like I know people say he's not telling the, the, the big guys to play on the perimeter, but having a system that doesn't call many plays and that has people uh, read and react. And when you have guys that have a ten, well, one guy who has a tendency to want to play like a guard, you're just feeding into that bad habit instead of maybe having things structured differently where you're calling more plays that have him starting out in the paint or at the elbow, um, you know, then, then you uh, work against that, that thing that causes problems for you. And I, and I, I feel like, you know, people say, Oh, the offense is not the problem, but I think if you play offense differently, the energy that it creates trickles down to the defense. Like if you look at football teams, you look at those smash mouth football teams that run the ball, pound the ball. They also have physical defenses. Like, if we're playing physical with our with our big men attacking the the paint, we're attacking the rim like we were when we played against Portland. We were we were attacking the rim with the bigs, with the guards. Everybody was going to the rim, and we saw that energy translate into defense, into chasing rebounds. People were active. I think that just kind of carries throughout the whole thing. Where instead of having guys out on the perimeter, you know, you're having your big man out on the perimeter. You're doing what the opposing defense wants you to do and you're not getting contact you're not getting to the line you're not getting calls you're not frustrating the other team you're not seeing uh your dominance influence the the defense and crush their spirit and it's not not rejuvenating you throughout the game and i just think that um the way we run the offense while we're getting open shots for really good shooters like i it it just doesn't have the impact that it could have globally on the whole team and the whole, every aspect of playing basketball. And also still, you know, him still being a little wishy-washy on going after offensive rebounds when you have these two bigs is still questionable to me, especially considering that the transition defense still sucks and the overall defense still sucks. So um, I don't know. It's hard for me to give him a good grade. I mean, the offense is better than it was last year, sure, but I think, like, you know, numbers can lie, and 
they don't tell what things could be like. There's this funny story. I don't know if this is a true thing or not. I've been told it's true, but I've searched it and I can't find it. But it's just like, all right. So there's this YouTube YouTube concert, and during the song one, there's a bass interlude, and Bono walks out on, into the center of the stage. The lights go dark. A spotlight shines on him, and he starts snapping his fingers, and then he says into the microphone and he says uh every time i snap my fingers a child dies in africa and then somebody in the crowd yells out then stop snapping your fingers you know it's like if you just like take the numbers at face value you can justify anything but don't really understand how it can affect everything else obviously bono's not killing children every time he snaps he's using it as a as like a, a reference point of uh statistics you know it's just how you can misinterpret statistics and numbers to justify anything and i think that this offense can be justified but it's not the best offense that we could run what an analogy from kevin ollie uh uh kevin also mentioned transition defense and kumar had some great stuff on twitter uh detailing that in depth so you guys might want to go and check that out ollie talk about alvin gentry and give us a grade He's going to get a B minus from me and um, see, I'm giving him a lot more credit for the offense, for everything, the way it's functioning, because if, if you look at just from a standpoint of the big men and, and where they are on the floor and what they're doing within the offense. Yeah. You're going to get miffed by those games where DeMarcus cousins is shooting eight to 10 threes or ADs floating around on the perimeter too much. But the, th- the thing that I think gets missed and I never hear people talk about is the fact having that middle now open has opened up the game big time to where Drew Holiday and each one more have flourished. Um, both of these guys are attempting the most shots they ever had in their <laughs> career. It's at, at the rim. Um, each one more's floater game is now uh, right there on primetime display because he's able to show it off. Um, these, these guys are getting all these easy baskets, and I think that is directly a credit to uh, the offense that has been installed as to where the bigs have been moved away from out underneath the rim. I don't think it would be possible otherwise. It, and, uh, I, I mean, look at this team. You don't want Drew Holiday being just a spot-up shooter. He's never been one. He has, as we mentioned earlier, he's a streaky type of shooter from a three-point range. So the best offense for him is an open one. Um, and I've already said, each one more, he, wow, he, he's just been incredible at the way he's either been shooting the three ball or when he's made the decision from the weak side to go ahead and drive and either shoot that float or get all the way to the rim. Um, and then, you you know, you can carry that thought on a little bit further with the rest of the roster. I think Rajon Rondo having some driving lanes. And, and you know what? I, I rewatched last night the uh, first quarter against the Memphis Grizzlies because I'm a little sadomasochist, I guess. But I wanted to see just exactly how Rajon Rondo was faring, and that was the latest game I could download from uh, NBA League Pass. And you know what? Rondo was the best player in that first quarter. He was the one that got the Pelicans at, what was it, I think 38-29 first quarter lead on both offense and defense. Sure, he was hitting his outside shots, but he was also making these wonderful passes the way he was just leading the offense to where they should go into those open spaces. And then defensively, he was really helping. Uh, a couple times he was really aware of what how DeMarcus Cousins was a step low in uh, covering Marcus All, and he was right there to help him out so Mark wouldn't end up with a free layup. So I don't know. I mean, the effort definitely has been – you know, coming and going with uh, Rajon Rondo, I don't want to say anything to, uh, otherwise, but it's it just that th- this offense has given all these players th- this weird mix that everybody thought was weird. Suddenly everybody's just succeeding, and I think it's strictly because uh, of how open it is and everybody's able to go ahead and flourish and uh, go to their strengths. Like Darius Miller, he's 
by far our best spot up shooter. That that's what he does best. Um, each one more, everybody say he's a great shooter too, but he, he he's got a good all around game. Drew is at his best when he's just taking it to the rim, being aggressive. Um, he's even beginning to get to the free throw line more. And then of course, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. No, where, where the system, Kevin, I think fails is simply that this Alvin Gentry scheme, it just places that much trust in the players. And, you know, obviously for it to be successful, these players simply have to be accountable, hold up their end of the bargain, play to their strengths, you know, and uh, we've seen that. I mean, that's why the highs and lows, I think, have been so extreme, even within games. And it, I think it's just it's something you've got to go through. Um, I know, sure, we could probably go back to a more archaic system, but I think that would also then really cut down on on the strength of these other players. And uh, sure, I think the defense would improve. But again, you don't know how all that would mesh. And right now, I still think, you know, you still got to ride this out. It still is a positive trend. It, it's just that they've got to get better on the defensive end. And that's where Preston, I was really thinking hard about the last time we talked about this and uh, you kind of gave Darren Ehrman a hard time. And I kind of agree with you. There's just so many lapses when you just rewatch even just not full quarters, but just some minutes and how there's certain players that are consistently out of position. Um, Again, I've harped on Dante Cunningham, but this guy has really just fallen off a cliff. And you have to ask yourself why, because last year this guy seemed to be able to cover LeBron James to be able to play uh, the versatile, uh, you know, anywhere from guarding the, the shooting guard all the way up to the power forward, even the sometimes the center. What's happened? So I think we, we we do need to look at maybe other parts to place that blame on as to why nothing's or it's not running perfectly. But Alvin Gentry, from me, B minus. All right, you guys, uh, you're listening to the bird calls again. Let's quicken the pace here, guys. Uh, we're getting to our players now, and we're starting with Demarcus Cousins. He's sixth in scoring at 26 points per game. Uh, he's got 13 and five to go along with that. Third in rebounds, in addition to uh, leading the league in turnovers at five per game. He's 1.6 blocks per game, good for eighth, and 1.4 steals on 48% from the field and 36% from three, plus eight technical fouls. Uh, at 36 minutes per game. And I think he's top five in minutes per game as well. He's fifth in efficiency. All right, let's grade him, Kevin. Uh, I'm going to give him like a, uh, it's either a B plus or a minus. I I think, you know, he has all the talent in the world. And I just think if he would play more inside the arc, um, you know, he would definitely, he would be an AA plus player for sure. Um, I think when he does play inside the arc, he has, like I, what I was saying about the offense, he, he gets that energy and he plays better on defense. It's no, no question. You watch those games, you watch the two in Florida, you watch the Portland game, you even watched last night um, against New York. He wasn't, he wasn't hitting shots, but he was making stuff happen inside. And uh, you know, he's playing with a lot more energy and that's the kind of boogie you want to see, but you know, he's been a bit up and down sometimes after a level on defense, you know, and then, you know, having him drive from the three-point line with the high dribble causes turnovers, those kind of things that detract from his overall game. And, um, but, you know, I mean, he's an incredible player and he has incredible numbers. And if he just would play a little bit different, you know, we'd be even better. But, you know, it's hard to argue against what he's brought to this team because, uh, forever we've been looking for another piece to sit next to Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis wanted a center. We got him the best center in the league, and they're figuring it out. And as they go, you know, hopefully this this little stretch is starting to be a turning point where everybody is like, okay, yeah, AD is the man. We're going to run it through him now. 
and then er everything trickles from there. And, um, you know, DeMarcus gets in line as, as, you know, sort of a tie with Drew Holiday as one, as one B or, or the second option. And, uh, we go from there and everybody improves. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's won games for us single-handedly. So, you know, it's hard to argue with what he's done. Um, you want him, you want to see him playing more like a big man, of course, but sometimes those threes are very much needed also. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's a tough guy to, to grade, but he's, I'd say he's very, very much a positive for this team. Ali, what do you have for him? Yeah, I'm going to be a little harsher because I don't feel like you can give him any more than a CC plus simply because he's been tasked with a lot of responsibility on this team. There's no doubt. He's, he's the center of the offense on like seemingly half the possessions. And defensively, he, he's the guy that's last line of defense at the paint because he's guarding the opponent's center. And uh, he has failed in numerous other areas. At, and, and it's largely been because of an effort. So you need a player, if he's going to be given all that responsibility, this, this almost handed a leadership role, he's, he's just got to be able to bring it. And he, there's just some games where he's just, you know, I don't know, he's running through the mud or something. He even alluded to it um, just recently after the win. Uh, what was that, against Portland? I forget what game it was. Um, but he said to Jen, hell, you know, I had my head in the clouds. And that just, that just blew my mind. How can this guy claim he has oh, – that's right. Wasn't it the game where Anthony Davis missed um, – The Pistons. I think it's the Pistons where he yep, exploded from 15 in the yep. fourth. Yep, that's exactly right. And it just it just blew my mind to hear him say that. You knew we are already down our biggest and best player, and he's, he's talking about having his head in the clouds. No, no, I mean, I love him. Don't get me wrong. I love DeMarcus. I think the best route for this franchise is to resign him and to build on what they've started. But until he shows, you know, improves in all these areas that we've touched on, everybody on social media sees and points out, you can't give him really more than a CC plus because he could do so much more, you know? So you can't almost give him like a free pass here. You've got to hold him accountable. He's always demanded accountability. Well, I'm holding him accountable. Yeah, and I'm in agreement with Ali. I think you made some excellent points in there. This is all in terms of what our expectations were in the preseason. And while Boogie is a great player and he's certainly going to be in the All-Star game, we just know what he can be. And if he can be 100% of what we see in these moments against the Pistons, then we know that we can give him an A-plus at the end of the season. And that's all that we're hoping for. Let's move on, Kevin. Uh, let's keep these under a minute, guys, because we're about at the 40-minute mark already. Drew Holiday, in his move to scoring guard, he had a rough October but has been sensational since Rajon Rondo moved into the lineup. He's third in the NBA in minutes played. He's been extremely trustworthy, hasn't missed any time, and he's put that time to good use with 18 points per game, five assists, four and a half rebounds, and just 2.7 turnovers on 49% from the field. 33% from three. Great Drew, Kevin. I would give him an A plus. I mean, he's the best defender on the team. He's tasked. He's, he works tirelessly on defense on the perimeter. I mean, he's so crucial to like keeping us afloat defensively. And then his offense has been not damaged at all. It's, it's exceeded all of our expectations. Um, you know, and like I said earlier, how he's, you know, sort of, you know, I always thought he was good on ball, like that was his best. And then everybody was saying he was better off ball. And then he moved off ball and it looked like that was the right answer, like that I was wrong. And then um, then he's now shown that it doesn't really matter. He can be on ball or off ball. So that gives us that flexibility in lineups. And uh, I mean, he still will have a mental lapse here and there. You know, you still have to worry a little bit, um, closing out some games, sometimes with the ball in his hands. But 
overall, I mean, you can't argue with what he's meant to this team this year. And he's, he's, you know, as far as effort goes, you know, he's the guy who's there every night. Um, you know, we've seen AD waiver, we've seen Boogie waiver, but we haven't really seen Drew waiver and effort level. So I'm, I'm very happy with what he's done so far this year. And I just think he's going to keep getting better. And, um, as soon as we make a few, maybe some lineup adjustments, or if we make any personnel moves, I think it'll really improve uh, his game because hopefully he won't have to do as much on defense as he has been so far. And that'll open him up even more to more offensive explosions. What do you have, Ollie? Same thing, A+. Plus. And the only caveat I just want to add to the end, uh, because Kevin's pretty much touched on, I, I talked about him earlier, um, accolading him plenty is uh, I would love to see him develop a little bit more aggressiveness, a little bit more of that passion, you know, that open passion, not to be like Russell Westbrook, but, you know, just to have that fire as to where when you're getting hacked, you're getting fouled, you better let the damn referees know that you're getting hit five, six, seven times a game and not getting rewarded with a free throw trip, Um, you know, a couple shots from the free throw line. I mean, Joel Myers talks about it every single game. And you see Drew always turn around and look at the referees and just kind of just lift up his arms up like, huh, what? And that that's it. I just want to see just a little bit more passion because I feel like if he shows that he's more deserving, um, I feel like that's how referees almost referee games. They look at the type of player that's in front of them and, and their uh, p- previous history. And Drew's just never gotten to the line consistently. He's never been that aggressive type of player. If he just shows that, I think that that, that would make him the perfect, perfect player uh, for this team because he's already doing everything else. It's just that, we're missing that little bit more aggressiveness out of him that can pay off at, like, at the free throw line and just benefit the calls with the referees. Because honestly, we, we've seen that the games come down to a whistle here, whistle there, and he doesn't ever seem to get the benefit of the doubt of those. So, By the way, I think we need to give an A-plus to Joe Myers and Jim Henderson. I think New Orleans is so incredibly uh, blessed with the play-by-play announcers we have there on <coughs> WWL and on FSN. Let's move on to Etwan Moore. In a, in a larger role this year, last year he averaged just 24.5 minutes per game. He scored 9.5 points per game on 45% from the field and 37% from three. And we talked all offseason about the potential for a three-guard lineup once Solomon Hill tore his hamstring. And after a couple of games with Dante uh, Cunningham in the lineup didn't work, worked out. Etwan Moore was thrust in and he has been exceptional, at least scoring. Uh, Ali and Kevin both touched on his defense earlier, uh, you know, matching up against guys like Andrew Wiggins. But right now he's averaging 13 points per game on 53% from the field, 45% from three point range in 32 minutes per game. He's been pivotal in some of these uh, matchups in the past week, getting the necessary scoring and the support that the, the stars, Drew Holiday, DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis have needed. Talk about Etwan Moore. Uh, let's start with Ali this time. I'm going to give him a straight B. If he was just a reserve role player, he'd be, he'd be an A+. But because he's asked to uh, be a starter and um, all his weaknesses are right, put right there on display, you know, you can't help but, you know, I, I can't give him a full A, even though for his offense, for his effort, I would love to give him an A in those categories. But if, you're, if, if we're given and what we are is overall grades, He's deserving of a B because honestly, he's he's not even an average defender in this league in my eyes. He's always always getting burned off the dribble. Seems like we're on a back cut or getting pushed around a little bit. And again, it's not because of a lack of effort. I just think it's he's athletically his athleticism just isn't there where he can compete most nights with the guys he's going up against. You know, so he he's at a disadvantage. He he tries, bless his heart, he tries. But you know, when you look at some numbers like I look at um, defended field goal percentages. 
Uh, opponents seem to really shoot a lot hot for a higher percentage against him than they do the rest of the league. Um, and, and there's other indicators as well. So real quickly, I got to give him a B, even though I love him to death. And, and Kevin made me a believer before the season. I really wasn't, but I definitely think he's a vital piece going forward. And I hope, hope that all these uh, rumors about him maybe be included in any kind of trade rumors that that doesn't come to fruition. Cause he's definitely a core guy going forward. All right, Kevin, what's your grade? I give him an A. I mean, his true shooting is just out of control considering like how little he gets to the line and kind of how ineffective he is when he does get there. Cause he's not even a great free throw shooter. You know, he's just, that's just pure shooting. Um, I mean, his defensive struggles, I agree with what Ali's saying. I mean, I, we knew he wasn't a super athlete. He doesn't have a great lateral quickness, but he does give the effort. And he's also guarding much bigger, much more athletic guys when he's while he's playing the three in this league. Um, you know, ho- hopefully, you know, like David Grubb and I talked about this last time with you about changing lineups where we have more with Darius playing the three and uh, – Etwan and Drew in the backcourt, or you know, once Solomon comes back, um, you can have Etwan in the backcourt, and hopefully, then he can use his size and strength to kind of bully uh, the guys he's guarding. While he will be susceptible, uh, sus- uh, susceptible to uh, quicker guards, um, he can still use his strength and his reach to overcome that. I think he just won't be overpowered like he can be right now. Um, you know, so considering how much effort he has to put out on defense, playing against bigger guys, and still being able to be that effective on offense, I mean, I just think it's hard to uh, undervalue a guy that's doing that much for you. Plus, he's also a pretty decent playmaker. And then, you know, his inside game is great also. I'm going to step in here and give him an A+. And this is just in terms of preseason expectations. We knew what we had last season coming off the bench with those 10 points per game. And he was in double digits pretty regularly after the DeMarcus Cousins trade uh, put Langston Galloway and Tyreek Evans and Buddy Heald in Sacramento, uh, elevating his workload. But he's got seven games of 20 uh, points per more this year. I don't know how many he's had in his career, but I think it's under that. And he just has assumed the scoring role and he's been automatic from deep and he's been playing out of position, as Kevin mentioned, at the three. So I think in terms of what we expected from Etwan Moore, uh, we we have to give him the benefit of the doubt that that he has exceeded that and then some. But that's just my personal opinion. What do I know? Let's move to Rajon Rondo in 25 minutes per game, 7.4 points per game, 7.8 assists, just two turnovers. 47% from the field, 33% from three. Those are good numbers uh, for him. He's been around 40% from the field in previous seasons, but he's also been uh, a real serious minus on the defensive side of the floor. I think last night against the Knicks, he was something like a, a negative 15 in his minutes played before Ian Clark came on and uh, played at a positive 18, but I'm not sure how big you guys are on the positive minus. Ali, why don't you start with Rajon Rondo? I'm giving him a C minus, and it's 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 that old thing that's been we've been griping about ever since he started playing. Um, along with side boogie, it's that effort thing, you know, energy and effort, and these guys just don't simply consistently bring it enough. And as you've just said, it, his defense it, it's got a lot of issues. Now, there's a lot of games where he's been fine and adequate. Uh, I feel like people just dismiss that and they just look for all the bad things. Uh, For instance, these last two games, they've been perfect examples of just how bad Rondo can be. But before that, over the the six previous weeks, he had a positive plus minus on the team. So I don't really get all this hate. Um, Everybody's acting like he's the worst player. I mean, I'm reading stuff like they even want to see people want to see Mike James get more minutes or start ahead of Rondo. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. He was brought in to do a couple things for this team, I feel like. And that was one to bring a nice cohesion and plenty of leadership. And I feel like 
he's done that. The locker room's fantastic. And the guys seem to always be on the right parts of the floor uh, on offense when he's out there. You know, I mean, you, you can say that the offense runs fine without him, but you know what? They, they sure as hell weren't when he was uh, out to start the season. So it, it took some time to click and the players have always, always, always given him uh, plenty of accolades. They've always talked highly of him. So I think, you know, people just got to give him a little bit of a break because let's face it, that 3.1 million or whatever he's making this year, you know, we're just paying him to show up in the playoffs anyway. So I think <laughs> we need to give him a break. Let's wait to see if we can see playoff Rondo, uh, you know, write us some spectacular finish. So, but right, it, it, C minus, C minus pressing. Kevin, what do you got? You know, I gave him a straight C. I mean, I think he's an interesting character because like he has, he has like super fans and he has super detractors. And if you take the two things that those people say about, about him and average them together, you would get a C grade you know you'd either have the a plus or the or the f minus and that's just the kind of guy he is and i think he kind of is that um because of what we've seen i mean he has tools to be a really good player he he makes incredible passes he's he reads uh defenses very well when he's on the offensive side of the ball he's still not a great shooter regardless of what his numbers say uh, you know teams would love to give open uh threes to him all game um, but he can create for others. Um, but he, he provides that leadership. And like, even if he's not putting out that effort on defense when he's on the ball, and we would hope to see that more of him putting out some better efforts defensively. And we're not seeing it, but at least he's talking to other players. He's talking Drew Holiday along as he's, uh, as he's guarding a man, let him know there's not a screen coming, letting him know if there is a screen coming. You know, when he's on the bench, he's constantly talking to the players. So that is that is valuable as well, you know. Even if he's not given his effort when he's on the court, it would be a much more impactful had had he been uh, playing as hard as he could be, also to keep his man uh, to stay in front of his man. But you know, that's another story. But again, as Ollie said, we're paying him three million dollars a year. I mean, he's not. It's not like uh, we're paying him a, a ton of money, and uh, we're kind of letting him rest and hopefully he'll kick up when uh, games really count or in, in key matchups that we need. Um, and Hey, he kickstarted holidays, uh, holidays growth also. So, you know, you got to give him some credit for that. All right. We're listening to the bird calls. So we're getting to the role players. Let's keep these ones brief. This is Dante Cunningham. His numbers last year, seven points per game, uh, 4.2 rebounds on 49% from the field, 39% from three. This year, five points per game on 22 minutes, uh, 3.7 rebounds, 44 from the field, and 33% from three-point range. Ali, what's your take on Dante? F. I'm, I hate I hate giving out an F grade, but you know what? He hasn't given me any reason to do anything else. He's uh, offense poor, rebounding poor, out of position poor, second, third, fourth, fifth efforts poor. Um, in the post, I was looking at some individual numbers real quickly. He, he's like ranking almost last, not only in getting out to spot out shooters, but also defending in a post where everybody said, you know, he's best left as a backup big. No, he's been getting destroyed in the post and against uh, cutters in pick and roll. So this guy hasn't done one single thing to me that says he's even deserving to be on an NBA roster. No, I'm in total agreement. I think he's got to play better or this might be his last year in the NBA. Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, I can't argue with any of that. I mean, I would I would say same thing in F and um, you know, I mean his position is the most needed position for an upgrade. So 
um, you know, that's the that's the one position we don't really have anybody to 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 play right now. And so, if you're looking to make a move, that's where you need to make it, in my opinion, because Date is giving you nothing. All right, Kevin, let's stay with you and let's talk some Darius Miller. He's 45% from the field, 43% from three in his first year uh, back from Germany after being a Pelican three years ago. Only playing 21 minutes per game has been a great surprise to the Pelicans offense, especially off the bench, and has even been closing in some instances. What's your take on Darius? I love Darius. Uh, Give him an A+. Um, I mean, he's certainly outperforming his contract with his shooting and his – his ball movement, he's uh, developed a nice pump fake and drive and kick. And, uh, you know, he's finishing around the room. And we saw in his first stint with New Orleans, we saw that one game where him and Tyreek were the only available point guards and they had to guard Chris Paul. And they both did a great job shutting him down, playing some great on-ball defense. And uh, we never really saw much more of that from him in his tenure in New Orleans, but we're seeing it now. He's He's being a very good on-ball defender, and hopefully that trick uh, turns into being a better team defender as well. And we are seeing him in the closing five now, and I'm very happy to see him uh, make that leap. And, uh, you know, I'd still like to see him get some more shots too, if we can find some more shots for him here and there, and that'd be great. I'm in agreement. Ollie, what do you think? I'm giving a slightly lower grade, an A-. minus. I know as to where you just referred to about expectations with each one more. I feel like you got to grade outside of those because whose expectations are we using? I think that when the general manager hires a player or brings, I should say, signs a player to uh, fill a certain role, it, it's, I, I grade against that kind of curve, I guess. So Darius Miller was asked to come in and uh, shoot, hopefully provide the outside shooting. He's more than, you know, gone above and beyond that. So he's been great, but there's just some things that still bother me, like his defensive effort and then, I feel like he could be a little bit more aggressive, especially on the rebounding glass. But, you know, it's just being a little picky. But overall, yeah, great surprise, A-. minus. Ali, I know that you guys are fans of Ian Clark, and he is one of those smart, heady players who just knows where to be and knows what to do. Joel Myers uh, famously said, we have to find this kid more minutes, and Steve Kerr said he was the favorite player that he ever coached but we did bring him in to be a shooter and he's averaging five points albeit in only 16 minutes per game 39 percent from the field 32.6 percent from three and I just can't help but think we've been so spoiled with Etuan Moore and Darius Miller feels like every time they touch the ball it goes in even uh Anthony Davis at 39 percent from three and DeMarcus Cousins at 36 and Ian Clark brought in here to be the shooter that the Pelicans so desperately needed it's down at 32 percent uh but with that being said I, I know you're higher on him than I am what's your grade for Ian Ian's getting a C simply because he hasn't lived up to what he was brought in to do best, and that is to score and shoot the long-range shot. Um, I've been pleasantly surprised by his feistiness. Um, Joe Myers is absolutely right. This guy gets in the defenders' faces. He, he's, he's that feisty, scrappy guy who um, goes, goes diving after balls. He, he'll put himself uh, right in the thick of things for get, going after a rebound. I see him trying to box out guys that weigh 75 more pounds than him. I, I do. I love his effort. But it just hasn't translated well to where he's had those good overall games. I love his best stretch, I think, was what was it uh, in Orlando and Miami, where we saw him actually uh, shoot at a very good uh, efficiency rating. So he, he just hasn't been there, you know, Preston. So he can't gain more than a C right now. But I do expect for him, out of anybody else on the roster currently, to uh, make the biggest strides. And what about you? I would agree with that. I, I give him a, a C plus just because, uh, you know, I feel like um, it's hard to be consistent when you're when you're not consistently in the rotation. So I'm going to give him a little bit of credit for that. You know, he's he had a few DMPs and his minutes have gone up and down. 
Um, but I, I see him, you know, starting to take Jameer's minutes. And I don't know what's going on with Jameer. I mean, he's been missing uh, the, the last couple of games for personal reasons or personnel reasons, maybe. Um, but uh, um, I think we're going to see Ian, uh, you know, become more of an impact player on this team soon. And, um, you know, hit, you know, it's a lot easier to hit, uh, hit shots when you're on the court with uh, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. But, you know, I think that's going to come to him again. I think he is a good shooter and he's a good driver and he is aggressive. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think he's, you know, a solid player. I've always said that. I didn't think it was like, I didn't think he deserved a huge contract, but I think getting him for the contract that we got was, uh, was a really good pickup. And um, I think he's, you know, going to make an impact on the team. And I think we're going to see a lot more of him in the second half of the season. And I think he'll start to flourish a little bit more. I definitely hope so. If Patrick McCaw hadn't have gotten those final minutes over Ian Clark, he'd probably be sitting somewhere with a mid-level uh, exception type deal right now. Something uh, along the lines of what Jonathan Simmons got at the very least being three years and $20 million. Uh, let's wrap this up now uh, with Jameer Nelson. And and this one's tough for me, Ali, because, you know, obviously he hasn't played up to expectations, but he did save the Pelicans in a lot of ways. I know you and I have talked to death about his impact against the Lakers where he didn't get any sleep and he came in and, knocked down three-pointer after three-pointer, and then the Kings game where Anthony Davis left early or uh, left the game before, I should say, and he and DeMarcus Cousins uh, pretty much uh, kept kept the Pelicans at that point. I don't remember what they were, one and three. or it, We were in great danger of coming out of the gates, another slow start, and Jameer Nelson kind of righted the ship, but since, yeah, he's been losing a lot of his minutes to Ian Clark, as has Rajon Rondo. What's your grade for Jameer? Oh, I hate to do it, but it's a D plus. Yeah, he started off great. He almost fit, felt like the offense started going because he showed up. He, he led, you know, us to that Lakers win. I feel like he was instrumental in that win against Sacramento too. And, and uh, he had a few good games after that. But since that time, since like about the time Rondo returned, he's just fallen off the cliff as to where his shot's not dropping. He doesn't seem to be creating for other players. And of course, defensively, he's going to be a liability because of his age. He's a lot slower and his height, you know, he, he just doesn't have that athleticism either to be out on the floor. So He's kind of been almost a detriment to the team for, it seems like, at least the last couple of months. So I hate to do it, but, I mean, i got to give him a D-plus. He just hasn't provided any value. And we've already mentioned earlier in the podcast, I don't know if it was on the podcast or if it was before we started talking about the the toe on the line. that just drives me crazy. Uh, Kevin, give your grade for Jameer. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to give him a D. I, I, I was not really into the whole idea of signing him. And, I mean, you guys are right. He made an instant impact when he got here. And, you know, I thought I was maybe going to be wrong. But now we're seeing the kind of player I was expecting. I mean, he's up in age. He, you know, you got to figure Denver, who didn't really have <clears throat> a point guard they could trust, cut the only point guard that, se- that seemingly they could trust to, to sign Richard Jefferson. So, I mean that kind of tells you what you needed to know about where Jameer Nelson is at this point in his career. And, uh, I didn't, you know, he, he can't defend. He's too small. He's too slow. And he, you know, his playmaking isn't, isn't, you know, above average for, uh, you know, a backup point guard. So, you know, I just don't think there's a lot left there for him. And, you know, I think he could be part of a move at some point to upgrade. Maybe if you could find like a guy on a, on a, still on a rookie contract or something that you can add some picks to, to acquire just to send an expiring out or something, you know, that that's, that's basically the future for Jameer Nelson. I think I don't, I don't, I don't see him sticking in the rotation much anymore. 
Yeah, I do think he was a bit more productive getting those starters minutes against teams like the Lakers and the Kings earlier in the season paired alongside Drew Holiday, who's such a great defender. He kind of masks over Jameer's deficiencies on that end of the floor. Coming off the bench, he's been playing a lot with Ian Clark beside him, and it's it's just not a natural pairing for either player. Uh, so it's been hurting both of their effectiveness. But you guys are absolutely right. I just really like Jameer, and I want him to be successful. Uh, no disrespect to these guys, but we're going to gloss over Tony Allen, Omar Ashik, Czech Diallo, Frank Jackson, and Solo. It's just too small a sample size to really give a, a credible grade on their seasons thus far, but we wish them the best and hope that they continue improving and, and for in Ashik's sake, hopefully play into that contract so we can move him this summer. Uh, lastly, we saved the best for last, our Lord and Savior, Anthony Davis, fourth in points in the NBA, third in efficiency, fourth in blocks, eighth in rebounds, averaging 27-11 on a remarkable 56% from the floor and 36% from three in 36 minutes per game. However, he has had some lapses deep defensively uh, as well as you know, missed six games due to injury. And I, I'm famously thinking of the, the J.J. Barea uh, rotation that he missed where he just he just laid his, his head in his hands and, and he just slept, walked through that uh, possession. And it, it probably cost us the game, but who knows? But we we hold him at high, at such a high benchmark. I don't want anybody to think I'm, I'm hating on Anthony Davis. He's somebody that I hope plays in New Orleans for the remainder of his career. And we just do have such high expectations for him. Give him your grade. Let's start with Ollie. Love him. I love him to death, but based on what we know he can do, I don't know how I can give him anything better than an A minus. And really, it became an A minus because of these last few games. Otherwise, he's going to get something in the B range. Uh, the Pelicans, you know, he is the alpha and the mega of this team, whether he wants to accept that or not. When he plays well, when he scores over 25 more points, there's nobody on the team that has a bigger effect than AD. The Pelicans are 15 and 8 when he uh, goes for 25 or more. They're 10 and three when he blocks three or more shots. Basically, when he's active, when he, he's doing his thing, the Pelicans are a tough, tough out no matter who they play. When he's taking a secondary role to either Boogie, Drew, or he's just not feeling it, the, te- the team is very mediocre. And I think it's been very obvious through the first half of the schedule. So I'm giving him an A minus, and I'm praying that we get to see this uh, Anthony Davis we've seen the last two games to bump that grade all the way up to an A. What do you think, Kev? Yeah, I was going to give him a B plus just because of the the wavering and effort that we've seen, uh, you know, going back to last season. Um, and uh, when, like everything Ali says is true. When we see him engaged and and uh, and when we see him dominant and uh, aggressive, then you get the most incredible player. You know, you know, it's a top five player. Um, but when you get uh, when you get him loafing around or like, you know, that Minnesota Timberwolves game, watching people blow past him, uh, not boxing out, letting guys fly through the, through the paint to get the offensive rebounds right next to him. You know, those, those are things that just are unacceptable. And uh, hopefully, you know, these last two games, like I said, I think, you know, maybe he's cementing himself again as, as the, the face of this franchise and hopefully everybody falls in line and everything flows through him. In the second half of the season, we see, you know, AD take take the reins and become that leader that we've been wanting him to be and uh, be that dominant force. And then, um, you know, look out, you know, whoever has to play us in the playoffs, because if he's engaged and everybody's on board with that and following a long suit and has him number one in the hierarchy, then uh, we're going to be a tough out no matter who we're playing. 
And it's definitely tough because we definitely see some possessions like we did against the Knicks where DeMarcus and Anthony Davis are slowly trotting up the court and whoever is possessing the ball, whether it be Rajon Rondo or Drew Holiday or sort of, uh, I don't know, cajoling them to, to, to add some urgency to their, to their steps. But with that in mind, they're, they're playing 51 minutes per game or four, 50 and 41 minutes per game, respectively. These guys are both in the top 10 in minutes played per game. So they are, in fact, carrying the team on their shoulder with nobody behind them capable of giving uh, real heavy-duty minutes at the five. So uh, definitely, definitely expect a, a nice run of games coming up here with at the Celtics and then at the Hawks, home for the Grizzlies, home for the Bulls. Uh, and then going at Charlotte, hopefully the Pelicans can get four of those five games. The schedule is looking good, and the Pelicans are ripe to make a run right now. They're sitting in six currently, half a game ahead of the Trailblazers. They're just half a game behind the Oklahoma City Thunder. So by this point next week, the Pelicans could be, I don't know, very firmly in the fifth position. But we we all know how much the Pelicans love being at that 500 mark. So we'll see where the week takes us. Let's get some questions quickly. Hopefully my dog will discontinue barking. We'll start with Ollie. This is from In Dense We Trust. What are your expectations for Mike James if you have any? Of course, he got that two-way contract that Jalen Jones was released from. I'll be honest, I don't have any. As soon as I heard the news, I figured this is just some kind of insurance uh, ploy by Dell Demps to utilize one of the two-way contracts instead of for development purposes because of how tight the salary cap is uh, for the Pelicans, just, just to bring in, you know, a guy that they may need at some point. And what's what's suddenly interesting is the fact that Jameer Nelson just did miss a game that the Pelicans only announces for personal reasons. Hopefully everything's okay. Hopefully it's nothing, you know, too serious, whether it's him or his family. But, you know, it makes a person wonder when you see such an open-ended type of reason uh, for why he missed the game. So maybe, maybe, maybe there's something going on behind the scenes. But other than that, if there's nothing going on, I just don't expect him to uh, even get minutes, um, despite how bad Ray John Rondo will play at times or, you know, how consistently we haven't seen a lot out of uh, Jameer Nelson lately. Uh, Kevin, this is from... Chetta Chaz, I think I did my best with that one. With Rondo's de- uh, defensive deficiencies being highlighted more and more, do you guys think the Pelicans make a play for a new starting point guard at some point this season? Well, I I think the starting point guard really is Drew Holiday. You know, I mean, once uh, I mean, I'm not that I didn't think Ron Rajon Rondo will get moved to the bench, but you know, I think they'll have a quicker hook with him, and Holiday takes over ball ball control and he's more on ball for more minutes than he's off a ball um in theory you know when you look at the rest of the players on the court um so i don't think there's going to be another move to get a guy that's going to start there might be a move to get another guy that can bring some spark off the bench but i i I don't think you're going to be replacing rondo with a guy with a point guard that's going to start over him in the uh in the offense, unless that person is Drew Holiday. Ali, I'm going to amend this question. This is from MC Tooman, and the question is, Rondo looks dreadful. O seems to be working fine without him. What are we going to do? And Ali, my question to add on to that is, we're expecting Solomon Hill back pretty soon, the next five or six weeks. And obviously, when he first comes back, he's probably going to be getting anywhere from 15 to 20 bench minutes per game. But should he come back and look like the Solomon Hill of last year, is 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 there a chance that we might see a starting lineup of Drew Holiday, Etwan Moore, Solomon Hill, Demarcus, and Anthony Davis with Rondo coming off the bench? There's that chance, but I don't expect it. I don't think anybody should expect that. Um, starting back with when he was signed, where supposedly he was maybe rumored a starting 
job with this team, um, whether that not that's true or whether it applies even anymore is besides the point. It's the fact that the team trusts him. They until they start speaking differently, until uh, Rondo starts giving people reasons within that locker room to uh, um, just kind of doubt him again. I, I don't see why the coaches and coaching staff will make a change there. As we've already seen, Rondo's being limited to right around 20 minutes, 22 minutes a game when uh, Gentry sees fit and goes with somebody else because, A, either Rondo's not bringing or, B, there's just a better, um, you know, better player off the bench to take up, soak up those minutes. So, no, I don't foresee that happening at all. And I just wanted to mention real quick to add on to Kevin's last response, I don't think the team has any reason to chase a new point guard simply because this is a Chris Finch offense. And we saw even in Denver last year, and we keep we've mentioned it before, but there is no need for a legitimate uh, point guard on this team. We don't need anybody to soak up any more usage. The Marcus Cousins, Drew Hawd, Anthony Davis, that, that right there, that's almost your point guard, so to speak, because that's where the offense is going to run through. No, this team doesn't need one. They just simply need somebody to soak up minutes at the one. That have to be a typical part, starting point guard. All right. I'm going to start with Kevin, but really either of you can take this. These are two questions. Uh, they're very similar, though. Uh, one is from Joshua. Will Frank Jackson play this year, and will he be any good? And there's a second one relating to him. And I, oh, there it is. It's from Shermanator1006. Still wondering around when Frank Jackson will will play, but I don't think anyone really knows. Uh, Kevin, what's your response to these two questions? Uh, yeah, I mean, nobody really knows. Um, I don't think, I mean, um, I don't, I didn't think we should expect much of him this year. I know Ollie's kind of high on, on him. Um, I, I don't really know a lot about him, honestly. I mean, I, you know, I watched uh, what I could of his college career and, uh, I mean, he has, he shows potential as a very athletic player. We need athleticism on our wing for sure. Um, so that could help eventually, but I wouldn't expect much out of him at all this season. Um, if we get to see him at all, we might get to see him in the G league or something for a little while as he works his way back, but without any uh, major shakeups or injuries, if, even if he is healthy, I wouldn't expect him to see much court time at all. Ollie, you have anything to add to that? No, Kevin's absolutely right. A guy that's lost already half the season to injury and he's only played one year in college, there's no reason for a team that's fighting to make the playoffs to give him minutes. Agreed. All right, this one's from Clint White. It says, not a Pels question, but I've had no definitive answer to this NBA rule question. If a player shoots a buzzer beater attempt that leaves his hand with point one on the clock and it lightly touches a defender's fingertip after the buzzer but still goes in, would it count? I'm going to start with Ollie. Yes, it does. I was I, my 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 gut instinct said yes because it, it counts as a shot attempt. So anything what that means is anytime it leaves an offensive player's hand, everything else following after the fact is good, regardless of whether there's any time left. And so I looked it up just to confirm it, and this is what I found on an old ESPN article. Um, it's a legal shot. All as long as the ball is on its way to the basket after the buzzer sounds, it's considered a shot attempt whether it's been blocked or whether there's been a goaltend or even if it bounces on the floor first and happens to go in. All right. Thank you guys all for listening to the bird calls. This has been our longest one in a while, and we'll be back next week with Christian Botwell of The Advocate. Remember to subscribe, retweet, and rate us on iTunes. We really appreciate the help, you guys. It really helps our podcast to grow, and we're bringing this to you for free. So please do us a favor. Leave a comment on iTunes if you like what you're hearing. For now, I'm Preston Ellis. Follow me at Preston Ellis, Ali at Ali Cosell, Kevin at Kevin B for Bounce. Ali, any uh, closing thoughts? Man, Saints fans, Pelicans fans need you.
I know it was a great ride and a shitty ending, but you know, there's always next year. I, I think there's reason. I'm so glad to see the fan base has kind of you rallied around, got that hope going. But you know what? In the meantime, the Pelicans could sure use some more fans. They're on their way to having their best season they've had honestly since even before Anthony Davis joined his team. Because if you don't remember, 24, 2015, they didn't even get off to this good of a start. So come over to our side, please. Love it. What about you, Kev? I'll just say there was something that uh, Ali had said earlier that I, I wanted to talk about. Is he, he was talking about Drew Holiday um, complaining more about calls. And I just feel like all we hear is people complaining about Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, especially complaining about calls. And that's a big thorn in everybody's side. But there could be another way that he could go about it, especially since he doesn't seem to have that sort of whining, complaining uh, mentality. It's just the you know, at a timeout, pull the guy rough over and talk to him, especially if they're showing the replay on the Jumbotron and be like, hey, look, this is what I feel like happened. Can you explain to me what you saw or didn't see? And uh, maybe that could help without uh, him falling into the bad habits of guys that we're already complaining about, complaining too much. Yeah, I keep wondering when Alvin Gentry at a press conference is really going to call back, uh, call out the NBA officials for the calls that Drew Holiday's not getting and buy himself a $25,000 fine. But that's something that's pretty common with uh, with NBA head coaches, I feel like, when they when they feel like their player is being discredited by officials. And it ends up working uh, most of the time. But that that's also something usually reserved for the playoffs. Uh, I just went on a ramble there. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, follow us on iTunes. Leave a rating. Thank you so much to Ali. Thank you so much to Kevin. Keep it right here. We'll be back here again on Friday. And we'll talk to you guys then. Go Pels and sorry Saints fans, but uh, next year promises to be even better with the young group of rookies they have. And uh, they've really been doing well in the draft since 2015. This isn't a Saints podcast. It's a Pelicans podcast. What am I doing? Let's go, guys. Talk to you soon. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day, when he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12th handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson. Geico presents, yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.